0: Welcome. This is the Way Home Podcast. A podcast built around conversations on church, community, and culture. And now,
1: here's Dan Darling.
0: Welcome to the second episode of the Way Home Podcast. I'm Dan Darling. Glad to have you with us. Today, we've got two really good conversations. We're celebrating and commemorating the March for Life in Washington, D.C., and Sanctity of Life Sunday was just this past Sunday, and uh, this is the anniversary of an unfortunate anniversary of the Roe versus Wade uh, decision. And so we're going to talk about the issue of life. Uh, My first interview is with my friend Bethany Goodman, who's the assistant director at the March for Life, where thousands of young people gather on the Capitol Mall in Washington, D.C., to stand up for the sanctity of human life. Uh, I had the opportunity to be there this year and it's just a really great event. So we'll talk to her kind of about the pro-life culture, where the pro-life movement is, what excites her, what concerns her. And, and that going forward. The second conversation is with uh, my friend Dean and Sarah, who's pastor of City Church in Tallahassee, Florida. Dean has a church that's about six years old, and it's perhaps the largest Protestant church in Tallahassee, a Southern Baptist church uh, near the campus of Florida State University. And Dean and his wife have established a really solid pro-life ministry there in their church, reaching to the students and the people of that community. And Dean has some really good insights on what it looks like uh, as a Christian, Christian to be pro life, but also as a church, what it looks like to to live that out daily in your community and not just uh, treat it as a sort of a political issue. So, really hope you stay tuned for both of those interviews. Before you do, I want to remind you again about our conference coming up in March, March 26th and 27th the Gospel and Racial Reconciliation. We have speakers like Russell Moore, our president. Tony Evans, John Perkins, uh, Danny Aiken, DA Horton, and several others. If you go to the conference page, uh, we'll have a link to it on my site, my website, and you type in the coupon code WAYHOME and you'll get a 15% discount. Okay, on to our first interview with Bethany Goodman. So we're glad to have my friend Bethany Goodman here today. Bethany Goodman is the assistant director of the March for Life. In Washington, D.C. Uh, Bethany, thanks for joining us.
2: My pleasure. Thanks for having me, Dan.
0: So, Bethany, I just want to start a little bit, before we get into the March for Life, maybe you can talk a little bit about your own background. I know you have experience on Capitol Hill before you joined the March for Life uh, team, and uh, just maybe talk a little bit about why you're passionate about this issue and how you got into this kind of advocacy and work.
2: Absolutely. Um, So, I worked on Capitol Hill for about five and a half years for a a congressman from Ohio, handling uh, life issues and marriage and religious liberty and um, some some other issues, and really enjoyed that time. But really felt the Lord calling in my heart that while it's important what is happening on Capitol Hill, I you know I think politics is often downstream of our culture and, you know, to really kind of try and make an impact on um, life and, and marriage and religious liberty issues. The, the, the battle is in the culture. And so that's that's where I felt the Lord calling me to kind of go out and, and kind of do a sort of boots on the ground um, role. And, um, you know, as, as the Lord works, um, he orchestrated kind of me coming over to the the March for Life, um, pretty uh, suddenly um, back in two thousand thirteen, and so I started started with the March for Life in, in two thousand thirteen, and and um, just really thankful for this opportunity to, um, you know, to work with churches, to work with faith based faith based mm-hmm. organizations um, in the evangelical world to kind of talk about the importance of. Speaking out on the life issue, I don't even always even like to say life issue because it's it's not just a little issue that right. we can you know put in put in a box. But um, it's kind of talking about human dignity in um, you know various different ways. Um, obviously, with the March for Life, kind of specifically talking about um, the rights of the preborn and 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 how abortion harms women and, and men and families. So it's uh, it's just a really really great opportunity. I handle our Digital and social media as, as well, which is obviously just kind of a, a great tool to, um, you know, to impact people in the culture that way. To use social media to impact your friends and family. So it's it's a really neat um, position. I'm, I'm grateful to work with great folks like the ERC.
0: Bethany, I want to. Ask a little bit about the history of the March for Life in case there's anybody out there, and I can't imagine who they would be, but who doesn't, isn't aware of it and how it started. I know that obviously it started as a response to the um, 1973 deci- the Roe versus Wade decision. Initially started as a, I'm going to say spontaneous uh, response, but it wasn't as organized as it was today, and then it kind of took off from there. Is that, is that about right?
2: That's about that. That's about right. Um, after the Roe v. Wade and and Dobie, Dobie Bolton um, mm-hmm. was another decision that day as well, which kind of they work in tandem. Um, after that decision in 1973, Nellie Gray, who is the founder of March for Life, she and some friends who um, lived and worked in Washington D.C. They did not want that day, January 22nd, the following year, um, to to pass without without bringing attention to just the effects of roe v wade within one year um so they they gathered on capitol hill i think it was a couple thousand people that had some lawmakers there um you know early on their their intention was to um you know for for congress to hopefully pass pass a law that could you know just reverse roe v wade or for the supreme court to reverse it immediately obviously that that didn't happen and and probably won't happen anytime soon, although thankfully um, through different court cases and laws, it's, it's been chipped away at. Um, so we, we work towards those legislative victories, but we also now kind of 42 years later, um, what we really talk about is a culture of life. So we want to gather and, and um, encourage a culture of life in our country so that no woman would choose abortion because she realizes. That it is murder. That it's um, harmful to herself. Um, all of these different things. So we've—it um, certainly has changed a lot over. Well, it's it's changed in some ways over the the last forty-two years. But the goal is the same, but um, obviously the crowds have grown. Mm-hmm. Um, the age of the participants has dropped. It's mostly young people that attend now, which is which is great.
0: I want to actually. Talk about that one of the caricatures of the pro-life movement, which is so untrue, but it's out there in the media. Uh, I think maybe less today, but it still exists in some form. That the pro-life movement is 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 you know basically a bunch of old sort of angry white men who are you know have misogynist views about women. But what's interesting about March for Life and and really about the pro-life movement as a whole is that. Uh, most of the leading activists are women. I mean, March for Life was founded by women. Some of the leading activists are women. And and also what you said about the makeup of the March for Life being mostly uh, young people, lots of young women. So can you talk a little bit about how the pro-life movement uh, has changed in that way? W- what it yeah. says about uh, building a culture of life?
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. This is, you know, certainly I think we're seeing the pro-life generation and, mm-hmm. um, you know, we have Students for Life of America, which is just a phenomenal organization with chapters all across the country. Um, they're really, I feel like, um, you know, kind of this, uh, the, the boots on the ground um, in this effort. But, you know, I think I, I've also heard people say we're the, the ultrasound generation. Mm-hmm. And so it goes to show the importance of technology and how that's made a difference. And I know the ERLC um, does great work with um you know, granting um, money to pregnancy yes. resource centers so that they can um, purchase ultrasound. So our generation, we've grown up with the ultrasound pictures. So we see we see those pictures on on social media. and, you you can't deny that um, a baby in the womb is is a separate life. Um, you know the kind of the, the feminist movement of the 60s and 70s like to say it's, it's you know a baby is a lump of cells. We we know that's not true. So our generation um, has um, has technology has science on our side, so that we've realized that, you know this is a this is actually a human a human rights issue. Um, so that's why I think that's a huge Aspect or factor into into why we're seeing um, more and more young people identify as pro-life. Um, you know, there's, there's been quite a few polls over over the last few years that are that are showing that, um, and they're they're motivated too. Oh, yeah. um, you know, they've also we've we've also our generation has seen how um, abortion has has harmed people that we know. You know, a lot of mm-hmm. you, you'll see stories. I think the latest one is um, you know pop. Star, rap star. I'm not sure if she's pop or rap, but Nicki Nicki Minaj talking mm-hmm. about um, you know the abortion that she had. Unfortunately, she's still you know claiming that she's pro-choice, but she's you know she's shared and been honest about the fact that it has haunted her. It was you know harmful to her. So you know we're we're seeing a lot of our generation is hearing, seeing these stories. Um, you know I think I think Lecrae has. You know, talked about his past, and mm-hmm. and, and other other cultural, um, you know, leaders have have talked about how it's how it's harmed them. Um, we've, we've seen it in movies, um, movies that try and proclaim abortion as a good thing. Obvious Child is a movie that came out last year, and mm-hmm. no one went to see it. It was a terrible movie. <laughs> However, movies that have shown the the beauty of life and um, the power of choosing life, such as. Um, Bella, and Juno, and others over the past year—they're influencing our generation uh, too. So I think it's—it's it's something to feel um, optimistic about. We just—we still, you know, still have a lot of work to do. Still have a lot of people to convince.
0: <laughs> I, I want to discuss a little bit of, you know, sort of maybe the media's coverage of the March for Life, which sure, is always yeah. always kind of frustrating yeah. to me because here's this big movement, and and I'm I'm actually. Someone who I I like, even if it's uh, something that I don't agree with, an issue, um, I I like to see our democracy at work where there's peaceful protest, Uh, but for some reason, the media does not adequately cover the March for Life. It maybe gets a story here, a story there, Uh, and it's really, and I'm telling journalists all the time, this is a a story that you're missing, just these young people, a lot of uh, young women that are marching here in the cold um, yeah. <laughs> in January. Um, so maybe talk about that.
2: Sure, sure. Um yeah, I mean that's something that has been a frustration over over the years, and um, you know I, I don't think it's always unique just to the March for Life. Certainly, kind of conservative or um, you know biblical causes don't always get get the coverage, but it's been very blatant with the March for Life. Um, you know, I, I guess I don't know all of the reasons. I think one, you know, journalists tend to be you know more more liberal, more more mm-hmm. pro-choice, so I think maybe they just want to ignore it. Um, I think that's certainly a factor. Um, um, however, we, so we have really actively tried in the, past, um, the past few years to, to change course by just actually even being more proactive about reaching out to the media. Mm-hmm. So I think that's something that we're going to hopefully, hopefully slowly but surely see change where we're, you know, reach, reaching out to the media and, you know, just in, in, even actually inviting them to come um, to just to see it for themselves. You know, we don't, you know, we want fair coverage. We, we don't want biased coverage in, in our favor either, but we just want them to cover. Yeah. Cover the March for Life. So last year, actually, Jake Tapper from CNN, um, he he walked with Jeannie Monahan, oh, our wow. president, um, for for about the last maybe quarter mile of the That's March great. for Life. That's great. So he yeah he he walked with her and interviewed her and and then that was on his show. I think at like four o'clock or something. That's great. Jake um, is
0: always fair. He's he's good.
2: He he really is. We're we're, we're hoping he'll come back um, this year. And um, you know, just we're really trying to do the work on our end um, to get media here. And and part of that is. This is the first time that since our new president Jeannie Monahan has started, this is actually the first time we have full-time staff. Mm. so now we actually have I mean God bless N- like Millie Gray. I don't know how she did it on her on her own for so many years. so now we, now we have um, more staff to kind of you know do, do the outreach to the media. So we hope it will change. you know I, we're, we're realistic though too. I think I think, um, I think it's, it's still not going to get the coverage that a um, a favorite topic of the media might get, but, you know, we'll, we'll do our best, and social media is a huge part of that. Um, you know, we did our first social media campaign last year, and I think that really helped to get the issue onto the radar of the media, and so we re- really ask, you know, anyone who's listening today, please um, support us on social media. Use our hashtag, Why we March. And um, I think I think if we have a groundswell of, of folks um, tweeting about this cause, that'll actually really help a lot um, to get this um, issue on, on the radar of the media as well.
0: Okay, I have one more question, um, and I really appreciate your time. How would you encourage uh, young people to get involved in this, uh, young people who are interested in this issue, who want to make a difference uh, in their communities? Who want to love their neighbor by standing up for the rights of the unborn? Uh, what's the best way they can get connected? Not just to the march itself and come and march, and we encourage you to please do that, but also year round, really be involved yeah. uh, in the March for Life in, the, in in helping to create a culture of life.
2: Yeah. Well, what we want to do at the March for Life is exactly what you said: connect people, connect young pe- young people to. Groups and organizations that can really um, kind of work with work with you year-round. Um, we certainly are doing social media and some educational events throughout the year, but there are so many great organizations out there that um, that folks can get connected to. Um, so, I mean, I would just really you know, start with, your, start with your local community. So um, especially if you're a student, check to see if you have a local Students for Life chapter. Um, check to see if your church has ministries. Um, you know, most, I would say, churches um, will support a local pregnancy resource center. I mean, that's, that's just such a great way um, to volunteer and to get involved and just to, to love on people. Um, it's just, that's just a great way to live out um, to live out your pro-life convictions, you know, I would also say there are so many great resources out there to learn the pro-life sense or almost like pro-life apologetics. Um, I think it's really, I think it's really important to kind of know, um, to know your arguments. Um, so, n- not for the purpose of you know ar- arguing with people. We need to be loving and gracious and, and winsome when we're talking about. Um, human dignity and life, but um, you know there are hard cases out there, and I think young people we like to, you know, we like to challenge each other, and so I think it's really important to kind of know, um, to know, to, to know why you're pro-life. You know, certainly as a as a person of faith, where that comes from in scripture, but then also, um, you know, how how you can you can you can argue pro-life issues from a non-faith-based perspective as well. Um, so just knowing, knowing those argue, arguments so that you can back up why you believe, because you'll be confronted with it, um, you know, on campus or, you know, wherever you go. Um, and so it's, it's important to, to know um, where you stand and why you stand that way, and then, and then live it out. So like I said, find, find a local group, volunteer at a pregnancy resource center, There's tons of resources on social media, follow the March for Life, and we can, um, we'll, we'll connect you to those throughout the year.
0: That's great. And I would add two more things. Sure, Uh, I would say also follow Bethany uh, on Twitter at at Beth1027. She's always a great follow. I follow her and and always has great, great content and great stuff. And uh, go to marchforlife.org and donate uh, to the March for Life. This is a uh, movement that takes resources and time. And if God is moving your heart, please uh, give to them. But thank you, Bethany, for joining us. I know this is a very busy time for you as you're organizing the March for Life, and we appreciate uh, hearing your perspective here on the Way Home podcast.
2: Well, thank you. My pleasure.
0: Well, I want to thank Bethany Goodman from the March for Life for joining us. What a great conversation. And if you want more information about her and about the March for Life, Go to my website, danieldarling.com, and check out the show notes on the podcast page. And now we're going to talk to my friend, Dean Sarah, pastor of City Church in Tallahassee. Dean, good to have you with us. Hey, it's good to be with you. Thanks for having me today. And uh, Dean is also a member of our um, leadership council here at the ERLC. Glad to have him on board. And I um, want to ask you just a few things about ministry and church. But first of all, what happened to Florida State in that last bowl game?
1: Oh, I I think uh, in a lot of ways they proved the experts right. that Those close games they had every week uh, were finally going to, I guess, come up to the surface when they played a good team. So you have a good team that can compete with them and score just as much as they can score. And before you know it, they had a couple turnovers and it's a blowout. Yeah. So yeah, I think there's a reality check around here. (laughs) But they're excited. They won 29 straight games defending national champions, so it was, it was a good year around here. Besides that,
0: hey, you were in the you were in the playoff game, which is better than not being yeah. in the playoff game. Yeah, so.
1: is, now, now should they have been there? Not sure, but yeah. they were,
0: and that's the reality. It seems like the playoff system is really working, though. You know,
1: it is, it is. I mean, because if it without a playoff, it probably would have had a Florida State versus Alabama mm-hmm. national championship game. But instead, you have two teams who earn their way there by winning. So the field still has to matter. What you do in the game, when the scoreboard is running, has to matter. And it did.
0: So, uh, Dean, I want to ask you just some church ministry stuff. You've you've got a really good voice on, let's kind of think through some of these cultural issues and how churches should address them, how pastors should talk about them. You guys have done some really good pro-life ministry there in your community. So maybe talk a little bit about what you've done uh, there in Tallahassee.
1: Yeah, I I do believe it is the greatest social justice issue of our day. I believe protecting the unborn, not only protecting the unborn child, uh, but caring for the mother who's about to make a catastrophic decision that's going to uh, come back to affect her life deeply. Uh, Also, uh, uh, a father who, uh, that's an underrated part of the abortion conversation, Mm -hmm. is the effect it has on the father, especially a father who maybe uh, is is aware and a part of the process. Uh, So what we're trying to do is, one, make it about people, uh, so we believe—we're not trying to reinvent the wheel. We want to join good work uh, that's gospel-centered, where it's already happening. Uh, so we have a, a women's pregnancy center in Tallahassee that is unapologetically first for the gospel and uh, and deeply loves women and and cares for those women who come in very scared because of an unexpected pregnancy. Uh, so we do everything we can to help them. That's financial. Uh, that is uh, resources of the people and volunteering and support. Uh, I am a voice for them in town. I'm the MC at their big banquet every year. Uh, we're just, again, we're, so we're, we're not reinvent the wheel kind of people. We're, where is good pro-life ministry happening in town, and how can we be a leading voice to help take them to the next level in terms of our influence, our platform in town? How can we leverage that for such a great ministry? And then also another thing we do is we make it an issue. We're unafraid to talk about it. I mean, if we, one thing about my generation, I'm 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 34. Born in 1980, very end of 1980. And one thing about kind of my generation and younger uh, that concerns me is they're very quick uh, to talk about important social justice issues of our days. If it's uh, sex trafficking, if Mm -hmm. it is poverty, if it's clean water, uh, so many different things. But I just don't hear a lot about the abortion issue. And some of that is because I don't think it is uh, trendy enough for them. I think it is too politically controversial for them. We refuse to allow that to be a reality. We're going to talk about it at our church. And part of our talking about it is not to bring shame or guilt uh, to those that almost all of our churches across America have those in our church who have had abortions, whether we realize it or not. Uh, Not to bring shame to them, but to bring gospel hope to them, but also help people see that if we're going to claim to follow Christ in the world by caring about the least of these— We have to make the pro-life discussion a center part of what we're doing in ministry.
0: And one of the things that I like about what you're doing is, you know, most evangelicals, if not all, are pro-life. Most conservative Catholics are pro-life. But pro-life is not just, you know, every four years I'm going to get angry about it on Facebook come election time. But to really truly be pro-life is to be present in the lives of those who are wrestling with those decisions—the moms, the, the you know, the young girls, the the, the, the young boys. Uh, you, you guys are on a near a college campus, so I'm, I'm guessing this is this is something that you're dealing with on a daily basis, not just with the good work you're doing at the Christ Pregnancy Center, but even as you're interacting with young students and they're making all these sort of decisions, right?
1: Oh, yeah, definitely. And we're going to talk about sexuality, too, and, and why uh, God's planned uh, for sex matters. That's a big, obviously a big part of the conversation. Uh, there were 2,000 reported pregnancies at Florida State last year, mm-hmm. at Florida State University. That's just reported. Uh, so when you see the statistics of how many college students uh, choose abortion, uh, they're, they're pretty staggering. Uh, so we're trying to make any kind of difference we can. And, again, it's, again first and foremost, yes, it is about uh, protecting, defending the least of these, the helpless unborn. But it stretches further than that. I believe that being pro-life is as pro-women as you mm. possibly can be because we know about what happens psychologically. We know about what happens health-wise uh, to these women who make this decision. Uh, so we're trying to walk them along the whole process. see This is so much bigger than what you believe in your mind is an inconvenience and a damper on your plan for your life. That's not what this is about. This is so much bigger. As uh, so we have that conversation year-round, uh, we are... Uh, a church wants to be pro-all of life, uh, so we're always talking about what that looks like. And this is how our belief in the gospel of Jesus Christ compels us uh, to be active, to, to have action when it comes to those things. So, yeah, so year-round we're a part of conversations about a worldview shaping, about how this affects our neighbor uh, and our church uh, quite often.
0: And, and one of the things I, I think that's unique about the, the way that the pro-life ministry that you support there in Tallahassee is their approach to the fathers, the, that you're, you're yeah, helping to cool. counsel fathers. Tell me why that's so important.
1: I believe it's most underrated part of the abortion conversation is what happens when we impact these men. Because the statistics, I don't have them in front of me, forgive me, but the statistics for when the father, the, the father that this woman conceived with, is on board when he is supportive of her having a child, the stats go up dramatically of her choosing to keep her child. So we believe that if we can, you know, administer to the Father and we can, you know, see the Lord invade the heart of the Father, and get the Father on board, that mm-hmm. the woman is going to feel supported. This uh, fearful and scared and unexpected pregnant girl often, this young woman, you know, who's maybe not even 21 years old yet, uh, this college student, when she sees someone say, I'm not going anywhere, I'm going to be with you we're going to walk through this. I'm here for the long haul. Uh, we think that we can. We, we have seen incredible things happen. So our pregnancy center in town has a men's ministry, and we have trained evangelical male counselors uh, that volunteer their time there and meet with these men and give them hope and walk through them. A walk with them through this process. That's been a really neat thing.
0: One of the things I think that you've you've shown with your church, and I'm hearing this from other pastors around the country, especially younger pastors who are church planners, is uh, there's this kind of narrative that to be successful, you kind of have to be sort of watered down the message, be nice to everybody, uh, not really talk about kind of the demands of the gospel and, and what it calls us to. And you've shown that young people are actually open open to the gospel, right?
1: Absolutely. Well, non-gospel-preaching churches are declining and gospel-preaching churches are growing. So, yeah. uh, And there's a reason for that. I think there are people are hearing everything. They're hearing claims of truth from every corner. I think people want to hear what the Bible has to say. They might disagree with it, but at least respect you for talking about it. Now, the public square, of course, uh, we're going to get demonized. They're going to be told to be silenced. When it comes to a local church setting, uh, people, I'm convinced that they, they want to hear. These college students are not coming to a church gathering on Sunday because they want you to make them feel better.
0: Mm-hmm. Because they want
1: five points for life. They can get that anywhere. Yeah. They're coming because they want to hear what the Lord has to say through His Word. Yeah. Uh, so, so we're committed to that. And I had I heard some, someone overheard today, or someone said to me today, that if your church just cares about numbers, you're not preaching the right messages. <laughs> 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 because, uh, you know, we go through books of the Bible, we preach any. We, we have yeah. theories that are, you know, expositions through a certain letter of the Bible all the way to sermons about cultural issues, about sexuality and dating life, and all that kind of stuff. And people are coming. And I'm not taking that for granted. I don't know if they'll always come, uh, but we're grateful that our church is growing rapidly. Uh, we are the largest Protestant church in our city.
0: That's great. And
1: probably the most eulogically conservative.
0: You, you know, and one of the things that you say all the time is, you know, and I, I think this is so good, is just, just actually be normal you know could you explain that a little bit like in your ministry you know yeah. we have all these evangelical clichés and only things we got to say you know doing life together and all this stuff and it's like you're saying hey you know if you just be normal and be human with people uh, yeah. they're receptive right
1: yeah well there are areas where we should be strange obviously uh, our beliefs about the way we get to heaven the way sin is forgiven our 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 beliefs about uh, human sexuality all those things should be viewed as strange but it's just getting old that Christians are often the people who just weird folks out. Yeah. Like I, I don't want people to be afraid to sit next to me on an airplane if you, they figure out that I'm a Christian or a right. pastor. And one thing we try to do is to make ourselves a normal part of Tallahassee life. Like this morning, our church hosted uh, our Chamber of Commerce's young professionals gathering. That's great. It has no religious affiliation whatsoever. But we hosted it and they asked us to. Mm. And not just our building, like we were the host. I got to speak at it. Mm. And because we, we want to come across as what I call it strangely normal.
0: Yeah.
1: Where there are strange things about us, but at the same time, we're relatable. I, I, I don't like it when someone maybe cusses in front of me and then apologizes. Yeah. Like why shouldn't? I? Why shouldn't? Of course, do I like cussing No. Why shouldn't a lost person cuss around me? They're lost. <laughs> right. so, well, and, I'm so comfortable it, around me. It,
0: <laughs> yeah, and to have a church that's for the city—that you're not yes. in a bunker trying to like, you know, you're you're for the city. You're for the community, which is really yeah. a part of our mission, right?
1: Yes, we are not for sheltering. I'm I'm one who is strongly against uh, avoiding, or I'm strongly for, I should say, avoiding uh, Christian alternatives at any cost. Uh, you're not going to see our church have a church league softball team. Uh, we don't do city church tailgates. Uh, we don't want our church to—even even with good intentions, we don't want our church to have alternatives. We want to join life where it's already happening. So we say, no, we're not going to start a softball team. Go join an already existing softball team with a friend of yours from work. We're not going to have a city church-sponsored tailgate. We want you to go tailgate with your friends from class, your friends from work, and hopefully they want to be around you too. Yeah. Because I, I just can't get around the fact that when I read the Scriptures that They might have disagreed with him, but people wanted to hear what Jesus had to say. And so often when it comes to our lives as modern-day evangelicals, people want to hear nothing of what we have to say. And I think part of that comes to individual relationships. So we want to be viewed. Again, certain things about us are strange. The way we uh, carry ourselves in terms of our conduct and how we love our wives and how women love their husbands and how children are priority. We want to be viewed as strange in those ways. However, we also want to be normal in the fact that people want us to come to their barbecue. They want us to come to their house. And they aren't afraid to order a drink in front of us at a restaurant. <laughs> like right. we have to get to the point where we can just be normal and be a part of part of just regular life without compromising our theological convictions.
0: Yeah, and just having this you know, the mentality of of that we are we are for the city. Like, we, we, the city. We, we are a partner. We want the city to flourish. You know, what Jeremiah told the exiles that you, you want to see the city flourish, invest in it, build things, uh, build relationships. And and really, evangelism only works if you're actually around unbelievers and actually building good relationships, right?
1: Yeah, it's impossible to reach people if you don't know any. <laughs> and that's what we've said. That's so simple. That's what we've learned. One of the reasons why a lot of churches don't see conversion growth, they just see transfer growth, because their own members don't know any non-Christians. But you guys interact at work a little bit, but outside of that, all their social gatherings and social connections are just with church friends. Now, of course, we need community and need fellowship, but all that community and fellowship should be to equip us to go into the world. Uh, so what we say is we want to be a part of everyday Tallahassee life. Uh, we believe that the local church should be at the center of the conversation of what's happening in the city, we talk about different things like downtown renovations and urban renewals mm-hmm. and uh, just the overall uh, just commerce and growth of a town. That some people talk about, why shouldn't the local church be in the middle of the conversation about what Absolutely. is good in the city? But like, that has to be earned. Like, you have to relationally get yourself there. Uh, so we just really unapologetically believe that mature Christians follow Jesus into the world, starting in their own cities.
0: Well, Dean and Sarah, pastor of City Church in Tallahassee, uh, largest Protestant church in Tallahassee, a growing Southern Baptist church. Thank you for joining us here uh, on the Way Home podcast, and uh, we'll hope to have you back soon sometime. Great. It's
1: good to be with you. Thanks for having me.
0: I want to thank my good friend, Dean and Sarah, for joining us here on the Way Home Podcast. If you want more information about Dean and about City Church, go to my website, danieldarling.com, and check out the show notes on the podcast page. You'll also find, again, I want to remind you about our conference in March, our 26th and 27th, the Gospel and Racial Reconciliation. If you click on the link there and go to the conference page, we have a, a special 15% discount for listeners of this podcast if you put in the coupon code WAYHOME. But for now, I want to thank you for listening to The Way Home Podcast, and we'll see you next time. You've been listening to The Way Home Podcast. For show notes, more information about Dan or the ERLC, please visit danieldarling.com. This episode has been brought to you by the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission of the Southern Baptist Convention. Thanks for listening.